continuing on our subject matter, the healing heart of God. Specifically this morning, I'm going to be ministering on the compassion and the commission of Christ, which demonstrates and really shows us the healing heart of God our Father. Psalms 145, beginning in the first verse, it says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the, your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and has tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. And God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. A magnificent psalm that talks about the majesty, the love, the acts, the power of God. But for our specific purposes this morning, I want us to focus in once again on verse 8 and verse 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. This denotes who he is, not just what he does. The, The simple word is speaks of his person. He is this. The Lord is what? Look at it again. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. The Lord is slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Can I get an amen? Amen. This morning as I start off, let's dive into the subject matter of compassion. Compassion in both the Old and the New Testament um, is a synonymous with involvement, with participation, with doing. It is a manifestation of God's love. It's one of the ways that God reveals himself unto humanity. God's acts of compassion are based on his awareness of what sin has done to mankind, how it has separated us, spirit, how it has infected our soul to where our soul become very unhealthy and how it impacted our body and we became subject to death and to sickness and disease and to other uh, bodily afflictions. But we read in Psalms 145 that God is gracious and he's full of compassion. He is involved with humanity's 
problems because of sin. He has has made himself aware of our circumstances and he has purpose to be a part of our life in spite of our rebellious ways, our independent works and actions of sin. God still is true to who he is. And who is the Lord? The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. I'm so thankful that we don't get what we deserve, that we get grace and we get mercy, which I'll talk about more in detail next week. But he is full of compassion. It means if something is full, there's not room for anything else in it. If a container is full, you can't put anything else in it. If a cup is full, you can't put any more liquid in it. When your belly is full at Thanksgiving, you can't put any more cherry pie in it. You are full. And the Lord is full. He's never empty. He's never half full, three-fourths full, or quarter full. He's full of compassion. He's more than able and he's willing to be a part of our lives. He's come to intervene on our behalf. The Lord is full of compassion. He's slow to anger and great in mercy. He's good to all and his tender mercies are over all of his works. I want to emphasize a couple of examples. One in Matthew's gospel chapter 9 and then in Mark's gospel. Gospel chapter 1, where Jesus demonstrated the compassion of God. A simple definition for the word compassion is love in action. It's love in action. And love is a verb, and therefore, in order for someone to understand that they are loved, there has to be some corresponding action with it. And we can think of the, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, and it says, God so loved the world... Well, how do we know that? He gave us his only begotten son. Love was not just in word only, but it was demonstrated and it was evident in the action of God by sending us his only begotten son. It's great to hear the words, I love you. We feel those words when they come from a sincere heart. It is also wonderful to experience love in a tangible way. Some act of kindness, a gift. Someone being merciful, someone being patient. All of those are manifestations of compassion or the love of God in action. When someone is, is good to us, wow, what an impact that makes in our life. And here we see in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Is that where I ask you to turn? All right. I just want to make sure you guys were paying attention. All right. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. He just didn't have a select few. Notice that the tender mercies of God are over all his works. God shows no partiality. So whether you're in the city or whether you're in the country, you're God's kind of people. All right. So he went about all the cities and villages. No partiality. He didn't just hang out with all the checkerboard, uh, checker pants lawyers in the city. And he just didn't hang out with all the bib wearing overall folks in the country. He loved them all the same. And he went unto them. And that's an act of compassion and love. He, he could have said, and rightfully so, and could have demanded that they just come where he was all the time. But he went to where they were. And he sat where they sat and he understood the life that they were living and and identified with the struggles that they had. 
and was a part of their community. And he walked the dusty roads and he sat at their humble homes. He sat in their grand homes. He sat in every imaginable kind of setting with every kind of imaginable person. And he went. And in going, that tells us something about Jesus. And what did he do? Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, the word every mean there means all kinds, all manners. There was nothing that Jesus wasn't willing to minister to and didn't minister to. So every imaginable type of sickness and disease, Jesus took care of those needs when he was among the people. Verse 36, and when he saw the multitudes, here's the phrase, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So observationally, Jesus is very, very sharp. And what he recognized about people is people need to be gathered. People are scattered. And people scatter because of a multitude of reasons, but primarily because they don't have a safe place in their life where they feel that they could gather. So he begins to gather those that are scattered. And he is doing this because it's the work of him being our shepherd. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. So Jesus, upon recognizing the condition of the people, because he went to them and understood their plot and their pain in life, he said to his disciples, this was his takeaway. Hey, can you guys perceive what I'm perceiving? That there's vast opportunities in front of us, but there's not enough of us to do this. There is opportunity everywhere we look. If we'll just go and we'll just pay attention and we'll just have our spiritual antenna up, then we'll see all around us there's people that are scattered. There's people that are hurting. There's people that are wounded. There's people that are lost. There's people that are suffering because of sin. But this is why I came. I'm full of compassion. He was moved towards them. And then he involved his disciples. He just he wasn't a one-man band. He, in, he involved his disciples. And he said, you know, we get enough people interested in other people than, you know, People are going to begin to change. Lives are going to begin to be transformed. Something good is going to happen to people today. And so he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray. And we're going to pray and ask God to send more people into the field. More people because the harvest that you guys can see, the harvest is everywhere. It's in the schools. It's in the marketplace. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your family. It's everywhere. You can't escape it. It's all surrounding. It's all encompassing. And Jesus recognizes that and he says, we're going to do something about this. We're not just going to make a note that people are lost and scattered and hurt and wounded. We're going to let something move us to action. And that something is called compassion. Not criticism. Compassion. Not looking on the crowd and criticizing them, but having compassion on them. Because without Jesus, right, we can identify with this group. But because of Jesus, we can go serve this group. We can help this group of people. And there's some people that are wondering, am I too far gone? And could God reach me? Could God 
you know, minister to do to me? Does God care about me? Does God even know me? And here we can see that the master, Jesus, when he was here, was aware of what was going on in the city, in the villages, and in people's lives. And he made a plan to take care of their provision. He just wasn't someone that was coming and saying, isn't that a shame? It's so unfortunate. Look at these people, this motley crew of, of, of sheep. Man, someone ought to clean them up. They ought to clean themselves up. They, they ought to take more pride and, and take better care of themselves. They ought to have a little bit more dignity. Well, you know, as well as I do, I mean, sin will beat you down and take your last dime and dollar. And I mean, leave you broke and empty on the side of the road. That's where sin will leave you. And so Jesus recognizing they don't have the wherewithal, they don't have hope, they don't have an understanding of who I am or why I've come. And so we're not just going to tell them about it. We're going to show them something. We're going to do something about this. And I, I think that that's something that we all need to really examine in our own lives. Are we just observationally aware of all the problems that are in the world? Are we going to roll up our spiritual sleeves and our, and we're going to get in there and we're going to start doing something about it? That's why God left us here. We're his representatives. So just put yourself in the company of the 12 and now begin to consider Jesus has recruited you. Jesus has called you. Jesus has anointed you. And Jesus is expecting us to go out and do something because we know something. We've experienced something. We have a story to tell, a testimony to give, a life that we can we can offer to others, the life of Christ. And this is a great example of the compassion of Jesus. All right, another example is found in Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel, if you would, chapter 1. And then I'll leave the other readings in your outline for you to uh, go home and look at and, and ponder and consider. Verse 40, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, it says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him or begging him and kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. That I am willing is emphatically a strong statement. It's I, I am, I am willing, I am willing. Don't ever believe that I'm not. Jesus, when this man came to him, was moved with compassion towards this man. This man came to him in a, in a very challenging and a difficult place. And, and Jesus just didn't wash his hands of this man and say, you must have committed some horrible sin. You must be a horrible human being to be in this condition. There's something that's broken in your life. And, and I'm just, I feel sorry for you. I'll remember you in my prayers at, at the end of the day. And, and maybe if, you know, if I have a little time, I'll offer you a little bit of, of some counsel. But, you know, that's about the best I can do for you. But no, Jesus was so overwhelmed that that compassion manifested. He had to do something for this man. And that's what compassion is. Compassion doesn't come out of our head. Compassion comes out of the bowels of your heart. As a matter of fact, it's it's the word in the Hebrew language where it talks about the womb. It's the womb, it's the birthplace of everything that's good and righteous and caring and holy and loving comes from here, down here. You feel it, you're moved with it. It's not just a knowledge of something up here or 
wow, someone should, you know, have a 10-step program to help these people. Someone should, you know, enlighten these people, educate these people. It's something down here that compels us that we're those ones that need to take 10 steps towards those that are hurting. We need to find a way to get involved and to make a difference in people's lives because something is moving me to do something. And so Jesus ministered to this man. And of course, what a great testimony. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus said, I need you to go now. I need you to tell uh, those that are in authority what took place in your life so that you can go around and you can live your life in freedom. You can come and go. You can go into the marketplace and you don't have to cry and clean and clean anymore. You can go into the tabernacle and worship. They won't close the doors on you. And I've cleansed you. And so go about your life and enjoy your freedom. Enjoy your life because you've come into contact with a living, loving, compassionate Savior. And that's our testimony to a degree, isn't it? Leprosy in, in, in uh, one way represents or it's a type of sin in Scripture. And it makes us unclean. It defiles us. It, it restricts where we can go and who we can associate with. But Jesus came and he removed sin and the stigma of sin and the stain of sin and the power of sin and the penalty of sin. And then he says, hey, go, go into the marketplace and don't be fearful anymore. Don't let anyone stereotype you like the way you used to be because that's not who you are anymore. You're clean now. Now, some people get saved and they say, well, I can't go anywhere because of my past reputation. You don't have a past when it comes to God and allow him to introduce you to the new you. The new you is really a beautiful person because the new you is who you are in him. And so you don't have to be concerned about what you used to do because in God's book, right, it's all been wiped away. All the handwriting, all the sin, all the guilt, all the shame, all the ordinances were written about, was all nailed to the cross, and you don't have to bear it anymore. Do you remember that wonderful chorus and that beautiful hymn? You know, we don't have to bear it anymore. Why? He bore it for us. Now he says, go and go into the marketplace and and live your life accordingly. Get the shame off your back because God's not shaming us. Can I get a hearty amen? Amen. Amen. And now we get into ways, I believe, I wrote five of them that I think we all should be humbled by. In God's compassion, he considers us. Psalms 136, verse 23, a beautiful portion of scripture says, in our lowly state, God was thinking about us, considering us. That means we were on his mind. Our lowly state would have been when we were separated from him because of our own sin and selfishness. So he considers us when you're compassionate about something and we can get the word passion from compassion. It's a compound word when you put the C-O-M in front of it. But zeal or passion has to be accompanied with truth or knowledge. And the truth is that God considers us. Have you ever wondered if God considered you, if God thinks about you? And, And if so, Sometimes do you come up with, I wonder what he thinks about me. I wonder what he considers about me. It's a lot better than what you consider about yourself. I promise you. Scripture says in the Psalms that if the sum of God's thoughts were to be counted, they're more than the sand on the seashore towards us. 
And you put that together with what Jeremiah said. And Jeremiah says, my thoughts towards you. So here we have it. A conclusion to the matter are for an expected end and for your good and not for your harm. So what kind of thoughts does a compassionate person think towards another person who's hurting? And that's how God thinks about us. That's how God thinks about the world. And then we're called to let this mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. Start thinking more like Jesus. And then the world will see a lot more of Jesus. Because as we think and speak, so we behave. And then the second thing compassion does is it moved God to care for us. He cares about us. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all of your care. Don't keep any of it. It's not worth keeping. Don't keep any of it. It's like the manna. If you keep it too long, it begins to stink. No, you get manna every day. You try to keep it for the seventh day. Man, that seventh day is pretty raunchy. Don't keep any of it. Don't keep any of the care or the burden, the anxiety. Give it all to him. Why? Because his tender mercies are over some of his works. All his works. Well, who are his works? We are. Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created, right, according to his workmanship, his craftsmanship. Psalms 139, beautiful psalm, tells us about God forming and shaping us in our, in our, in our mother's inward parts and knowing everything about us. And having compassion on us. He considers us in our lowly state. Then that consideration, he comes to a conclusion. They need someone to demonstrate that someone loves them. Or they're going to start looking for love in all the wrong places. They're going to start coming to some really funny conclusions. So I, I, I'm going to care for them. I'm going to show my care for them. And he does. How does he do that? The third thing compassion does is he comes to us. Didn't he go to all the villages and all the all the cities? Even didn't he say at one time, I have to go through Samaria? Wow, for a Jew to say that? I have to go to the Samaritans? That would be like a blood saying, I have to go and visit the Crips. That, that would be like someone, a Rockefeller, you know, saying, I need to go and I, I need to spend some time with the custodial staff. He comes to us. And so he comes to us. I like what, what Paul said about himself when he was writing to Timothy. He said, you know, that God came to us through Jesus Christ. He came to me, the chief of sinners. He came to Paul on the road to Damascus. What road were you on when Jesus came to you? What road were you on? You were on the road of nowhere. That was the road that the apostle Paul was on. Going nowhere, doing nothing eternally with your life. You could have had some good works. You could have had a somewhat honorable reputation. You could have run a credible business. But spiritually, you were going nowhere. Incapable of taking care of the the weight and the debt load of sin. But Jesus came onto the road that you were on. Not that we loved him, but he loved us. He came to us. And he's still coming to people today. Amen. So he comes to us. The fourth thing is he gives us his commandments. Sometimes people get tripped up with this and they can get legalistic. And Jesus didn't come to bring another religion. There already was quite a few when he came. 
There was already a lot of idols established, a lot of different kinds of people, you know, worshiping in different kinds of temples or, or out, you know, in different kinds of venues or avenues. And Jesus didn't come to bring another religion. He came that we may have life, which tells us our condition because of sin. That means we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and Jesus came to give us life. So here he comes, and he, now he gives us these commandments. And, and John, the beloved disciple, the one of the twelve who probably had the most revelation about the love of God, who felt comfortable enough laying on Jesus' breast. How many of you, you know, you feel awkward sometimes, you know, expressing, expressing, or showing love towards someone else. But John had a revelation of the love of God. He was known as the beloved disciple. All of them were, but that was one of his titles, the beloved John. And he laid on Jesus. First, very comfortable, very safe with Jesus. And this is what he said. The commandments of God are not grievous. Why would he say that? Because people think they are. People think that it's a duty, an obligation, a burden to bear. He says, my commandments don't weigh you down. They lift you up. They give you light. They give you borders. They give you boundaries. They protect you from deception. Why? Because his commandments are life and they're light. They're not darkness. They're not deception. They bring you out of darkness and deception. People that are compassionate give other people the truth. That's what commandments are. My truth I give unto you. How? How? Much do we harm people when we don't tell them the truth. We harm them greatly. We prepare them to fail because they're not thoroughly equipped to know what is right and what's wrong, what's light, what's darkness, what truth is and what error is. The truth is the most valuable message that we have Christians have the privilege to herald. The truth is it's found in Jesus. And number five, when people... Are touched with compassion, experience compassion, or demonstrating compassion, they they commission. He commissions us. You get other people involved. You say, hey, you can be a part of this. You can join. And you can be a part of this great work that God is doing. And you can go and you can do something for God. And I love that. So God's promises, God's power, and God's presence are constant and continually remind us That is tender compassions over all his works. The promises of God. Do you have promises that that you hold on to? Promises like he forgives us. He heals us. He gives us health. He tells us the truth. He provides freedom. He gives us life. Are those real promises from our Savior? They are. Is God a promise keeper? Absolutely. Not only does he provide the promise. Notice the second thing. He provides the power. The power. We're powerless without the, without encountering the love of God. All we have is legalism. We don't have life. We have religion. Man's attempt to reach God. It's futile. It's a never ending downward spiral. You can't attain it. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What was that verse referring to? Salvation. With man, no way. With God, there is a way. And the way is Jesus. Salvation has come. Well, what does that mean? God provides the power. You know, there's power in the word of God. The word of God is alive. And what's the next word? 
powerful, not pitiful. That's why I encourage you, you bring your Bible. This is a Bible-believing church. We open the Bible. We look at the Bible. The Bible is life to those that, his words are life to those that find them, health to all their flesh. Some people say, I'm not finding anything. Well, what are you looking at? Look into the Bible and you'll see the wonderful plan of God. And you'll encounter the wonderful person of God. And then you'll experience the power of God. But you can't have a relationship and I can't have a relationship with God outside of his word. It's impossible. You come up with what I call experience-based theology. Something happens to you in life and you had an experience. And then you interpret life and God in light of that experience. So let's say that at a young age you were abandoned. Or you were forsaken. Your parents got a divorce. Or you didn't have many friends. And if you experience that, that's a painful experience. That's a hard experience. Challenging and difficult. But if we're not careful, if we don't get into the Bible, and we listen to a bunch of religious people, and we listen to a bunch of people with putting rules and regulations on us, and people that aren't telling us the truth, we can come to the conclusion that somehow... That was our lot in life. And maybe God wants to teach me something through all that. And maybe God did that to me because I deserved it. And nothing could be farther from the truth. But there's hundreds of good people, good people, that have come to wrong conclusions about God because they're not in His Word. They don't open His Word. They don't embrace His Word. They don't love His Word. They run to God when they're in trouble. But they don't know how to interpret trouble. So they come to some wrong conclusions and then they end up running from God. And the devil's right there. You know, he's an opportunist, isn't he? Boy, he'll jump on that like a June bug. Who jumps on a June bug? Some kind of critter. I wish they'd get in my yard, eat my June bugs. Get rid of those grubs. Stinking grubs. All right. But I think about this truth, and it's just overwhelming. He gave us his word. His word isn't pitiful. His word is powerful. He gave us, what, his spirit. He said, I want you to go. He told his early disciples, go to Jerusalem till you're filled with power from on high. And then you go out and you represent me. God's still filling people that are hungry for him. How many of you are hungry for God? I'm hungry for God. He'll fill you. To the degree of you're hungry... Hungers to the degree that you'll be filled. A little hunger, you get filled a little. If you're hungry, you keep showing up. You get filled to overflowing. Amen. I, I mean, you can have a little snack with God or you can sit down and have a five-course meal. I'm hungry for a five-course meal. And just make room for him. Just, you know, start saying, I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry for the Lord, the things of God. Then you have the power of God. There's... There's power in the person of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power. Well, some of you just need to get your power. I mean, your, your engine started again spiritually. Start praying. Start speaking. Praying in a known tongue. Praying in an unknown tongue. Pray. Seek. Call out to the Lord. There's power. Get filled. Stay filled. Amen? And then you think about this power. There's power in the blood of Jesus. Oh, the devil doesn't like the blood of Jesus. Because that blood, that pure, spotless blood, wiped away all our sin. And therefore, he doesn't have a case against us. I want to say this, and then I'm going to move to my last point. 
The devil being an accuser is what I call a bad lawyer. He'll take any case against you and try to use it against you. Try to bring all your past shortcomings and sins, broken promises to the Lord. And he thinks he's got a case until the power of the blood shows up. And then God said, it's just not there. There's no evidence. Well, what happened to it? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And though the devil may try to accuse and blame and find fault and shortcomings and try to bring up the past, in the court of God, he doesn't have one leg to stand on because the blood of Jesus makes all things new. Well, we're old things. They're under the blood. They're under the blood. And that's where they need to stay. And where does the devil need to stay? Under our feet. Amen. Under our feet. And we do that by staying in Christ and staying properly positioned in him. So his presence, God's promises, God's power, and God's presence, his presence is always with us. And I love what Jesus said, and we're going to close with this. We'll look at the latter part of Mark's gospel, chapter 16. And uh, verse 19 and 20, these are the last words of Christ after he gave the Great Commission. Verse 19 and 20. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out. See, they've experienced the compassion of God. Now they're going And they're going to go fulfill the commission of God. And this shows us the healing heart of God. God is still reaching us with his compassion, demonstrating, showing us his compassion. Every day it shows up in one or or multitudes of, of tangible ways. We see the compassion of God, experience the compassion of God. And then, and then we go and, and we tell of this great, great God that we serve. Verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord was working with them and confirming the word through the accompany signs. And then he said, I'm with you always in Matthew's gospel, even to the end of the age. So when we talk about his presence, the promise, right? He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Doesn't mean you always feel God, but I always know he's there. I always know he's there. I, I can walk into my house. My house has multitudes of, of rooms. And Charlene can be in the house. We can be in the house together. And, and she's with me in the house. And I don't have to feel her to know that she's there. She's there. And then in the course of, of us living in that same space, I do encounter her. I experience her. But to say she's not in the house because I don't see her or feel her, or experience her isn't true. She's in the house. And so it is in our relationship with God. He's in us. It's a promise. He's in us. And the more that you talk with him and converse with him and interact with him, the more you experience him and the more that you're aware of him. I could walk into my house and Charlene's there and, and I don't say, and I don't greet her. I don't call out for her. I don't say Charlene, Charlene, Charlene. And you know, and, and so I could walk in. And just go about my business and take care of a few things and not experience Charlene. But if I walk in 
to my house and Charlene's there. Even though I don't see her, all I have to do is say, Charlene, hey, are you upstairs, downstairs? Where are you at? And she'll say, oh, I'm over here. And I'll say, hey, I'm coming that way. Let's have a conversation. And see, in the course of life, you can go around life and just be busy going here and there and taking care of responsibility and forget to talk to God, forget to involve God, forget to thank God, forget to praise God. And all of a sudden, it's like he becomes distance, but he's right there. And I want to finish by saying this is how strong this statement is that Jesus made in in, in the Great Commission. And he said, and I am with you even to the end of the age. And so this is how it should read. And I am with you even. And the word even there is a significant word. Even when you don't think I am. Even when you don't sense that I'm there. I'm with you even all the way to the end. All the way to the end. And I'm thankful for that. These are the truths that we need to get solidified down in our spirit because there's a world that we're called to go to. And we go to this world, we need to be moved with compassion towards people. Move towards compassion. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.